Hello and welcome to It's Only a Sequel, a podcast about your favourite fearful follow-ups. And today with me, I have my, a very special guest. It's Mr. Scott Murphy from New Horror Express. How are you, Scott? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a swapsies one, this, isn't it? Because uh, we uh, we did we did one. Uh, I did I came and did one for you last year, I think now. Um, Although we've done one this year, I think as well. Um, for yes. uh, which is what inspired this one, I guess, which was um, for Club Dread. Um, yes, you you did you did uh, a follow up uh, just re recently where you uh, appeared in another one of my episodes uh, for the movie uh, Cursed, um, yeah. an episode that just went recently went out. But yes, what inspired um, me appearing on this episode for this particular movie? Was the was the Cobb Dread episode because there is some connective tissue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with this film. <laughs> um, so today, uh, for people who don't know who people who haven't read the title or looked at the uh, the title card, um, is I still know what you did last summer, um, which is I don't even know where to start, really. Um, but I I certainly feel like this is. Uh, the reason that Club Dread evokes memories of this so much is because I almost feel like when Club Dread decided, when the Broken List decided they want to do a slasher film, they looked at this specific film and went, like, that's the worst of them. We've got to get that one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yes, because I, I do feel there's... It's very interesting because, like, I was watching this last night and I was like, oh, this... I feel like this really heavily inspired Club Dread, and yeah. it's it's interesting that this this franchise these these movies have like so directly inspired um, parodies because like as much as people think of Scary Movie being a parody of Scream because of the way the killer is is dressed up, like. It's mainly a parody of I Know What You Did Last Summer. In fact, there's some scenes that are like beat for beat the same scene. Oh, yeah. Um, like, like, if you watch like I Know What You Did, scary movie, and then directly after watch uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, you realize just how lazy the writing of scary movie is. <laughs> yeah. Well, like quite often, if we do a scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer marathon, um, I will skip the first film for both franchises and watch scary movie um because it's basically the same movies but with jokes yeah and it's uh <laughs> you know um so i mean uh i i've watched this film a, a bunch of times um and it turns out i still don't really remember what happens in it which seems to be becoming like a common theme um in movies that we covered together because I felt the same with Cursed where I'd watched it, you know, a, a few times and I could not remember a thing about it each time, you know. Um, and this, again, is... And you also forgot the killer in Club Dread. I did, yeah. But, I mean, in my defence with that one, it had been... I, didn't, I hadn't seen that since it first came out. Um, that is true. And but, it is confusing who the killer is. Like they make it deliberately yeah. confusing um, as um, part of the joke. But this, I watched it like literally not not last summer, 
but yeah, probably. When did they? It was October, around October, when they did the TV show. I thought, right, yeah. oh yeah, I'll brush up on my. I know what you did last summer's. Um, you know, um, so I sat through all of them, including the um, the Straight to Video third movie. Um, I've, never, I've never done that one. I've never gone that far. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not awful, but it's just it has about a tenth of the budget. If and I'm being kind, you know. Um, well, that does lead me on to my, my first real point about this. I think, I mean, outside of maybe like Halloween H20, um, this is like the biggest budget slash movie of that era. It's like 24 million they had. It is pretty massive. Yeah, 24 million is um, pretty hefty budget. I, I don't know. I could be maybe. wrong, but I do feel like I looked this up last year. Um, and it was roundabout uh, more the most expensive slasher film of that era. Period. Definitely pre two thousands. Um, I think maybe Scream three might have pushed it out of the way. Um, okay, which would come out two years later. Uh, yeah, I think this this at the time was the the most expensive of these kind of movies, and like that's evident the second the film opens. Um, you know, because it's it like opens in like a church, but it doesn't look like a um like your standard horror film, does it? It's it's lavish, you know. It is, and I think one of the things. I mean, one one of the many deficits of the film is like it makes everything like super obvious, like because yeah. it's got all this kind of in that opening scene. It's got all this kind of funny camera work and like her voice is like super echoey. So you're like, oh, this is a dream. We're in a dream, right? Like it yeah. doesn't even, there's no like kind of transition point for there to be like, you're, you're assuming you're just watching her in the church and then like, oh, no, the penny drops. Oh no, this is a dream. This is a turn. You know, it's, it's not a surprise. It's just like, all right, right. Okay. This is going to be some sort of, funny cold open where it's a dream and like Ben yeah, Willis like, turns up which is exactly what happens <laughs> yeah. um, well I mean so well this leads me kind of nicely onto what I usually do is try and kind of sum up the film first and then we right. go back into you know the moments that I think are worth talking about uh, you know and, and the various um, but so if you haven't seen I Know What You Did Last Summer it ends with um, what I think is a really good scare where they defeat the killer um, once and for all, as far as they're concerned. And then she's in the shower, isn't she? And, um, you know, she thinks it's all over. She's in the shower at a college dorm or whatever. And all this, mm. it all steams up and someone's written, I still know, or something like that on the mirror. And then the killer bursts through and that's the end of the film. And so you, as a as a horror movie kind of geek, you know, in kind of the mid nineties, I was like, "Oh man, I can't wait for the sequel to this," you know, like to see where that goes. Um, so my disappointment when the film opens the way it does is just, and it never addresses any of that stuff. No, it doesn't at all. I I, I think. Yeah, that is one of the frustrations of of the film, of like, it just completely... I mean, it's not... Um, 
it's not unusual for for films to, to for slasher films to do this like um both you know both halloween 4 and um well actually halloween 5 and friday the 13th part 5 ignore the endings of halloween <laughs> 4 yeah, and do, uh, yeah. friday the 13th part 4 where which both basically both have the same ending where like in Halloween 4, it looks like Daniel Harris's Jamie character is going to become the killer, yeah. and it looks like uh, Tommy is going to become the, the killer in, in uh, Friday the 13th Part 4, and then that is completely ignored. So I, I suppose it's not unusual for slasher films to ignore the ending of the previ previous film, but yeah, it's still disappointing. Well, yeah, but it also makes the opening of this one so obvious that it's a, dr a dream. Um, you know, because instantly you're in there and you're like, well, hang on, we, like we saw what, and then I'm so I'm guessing its excuse is, oh, that that the end of the last film was a dream as well, you know, because it does kind of lean into that quite early on that she's having all these dreams. Well, so the story is that uh, if you I'll very I'll sum up the first one in like a couple of lines if you haven't seen it, but I don't know why you'd be watching this or listening to this if you hadn't seen it. Um, but so in the first film, um. Uh, three people with uh, three name names uh, and Ryan Philippe knock over um, a man in the middle of the road. They throw his body in the river and then he comes back for revenge and kills them all off uh, one by one, except for um, Freddie Prince Jr. and Jennifer Love Hewitt, who survive, uh, survive the massacre and I'm guessing fall in love um, is kind of it's kind of their story, isn't it? Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Philippe um, meet their makers at the hands of the fishermen. Um, and then at the end of the film was the scene we described earlier where um, she thinks it's all over and then he jumps out of the shower or something and tries to get her. It's a good ending. I really liked it. The first film's, you know, a class act. Um, it, you know, for, especially for what it was. Um, so this film uh, picks up a year later um, and it is... Um, it takes place on literally the longest 4th of July in the universe um, <laughs> but we'll get into that a, a bit later um, and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt is plagued by dreams of um, <clears throat> of the murderous fisherman and uh, she's finding it difficult to even connect with her um, co-survivor boyfriend or not really a boyfriend anymore. It, it's quite vague. Um, who is played by Freddie Prince Jr. Um, and uh, so, uh, about yeah. So then they win a trip to um, the Bahamas. Um, uh, her friend wins a trip to the Bahamas through a radio call-in show, and her. Um, her friend, her boyfriend, her and uh, and fourth wheel uh, Will, um, who's like a friend who she definitely doesn't have any romantic intentions toward uh, a college, um, even though it's all anyone talks about in regards to him, all go off on holiday to um, an island where it turns out it's storm season and no one wants to be there. Um, <clears throat> and then, the you know, the killer shows up and starts picking them off one by one, um, <clears throat> only to discover that um, there are actually two killers, one of which is her friend Will, 
Um, and uh, it turns out he is the son. He is Ben's son. Um, and uh, at the last minute, um, Ryan Philippe, not Ryan Philippe, um, the other one, Freddie Prince Jr., turns up. Uh, who's been who's been taking part in a separate movie this whole time? Um, turns up right at the end to save her, um, and then uh, that is the end. Except for it's not because there's a very similar scene to the first one in which she, um, uh, her, and Freddie Prince Jr. are now shacked up together, um, and because he doesn't talk for like two minutes, she thinks there's something wrong. And then she gets a hold of herself, only to discover the fisherman is under her bed. And that is the last we ever see of Jennifer Love Hewitt's character in this franchise, because the third one is a brand new group of teens and not really connected in any way to those two films. Um, and then there was a TV series, which again, was not connected to any of it. So, that's, so the TV series, I've not seen any of the TV series. So the TV series is not connected to the original cast. In any no, before. so this is the first film I know you did last summer is based on a book, um, right. and so uh, by Lewis Duncan, I think, uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, let me just double check that. Lois, I mean, sorry. <clears throat> um, yes, uh, very loosely based on her um, novel. I know what you did last summer. Uh, the TV show is, from my understanding, I haven't read the novel, <clears throat> much closer to the original book. Um, and it's fairly good. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It was a, one of those week-by-week week shows that we got on Amazon uh, starting, like, mid-Halloween season. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, I I enjoyed it. You know, a lot of people were ready to hate it, but that, that made me want to give it more of a chance, you know? Um, okay. And it, I mean, it's nothing like the the movie we know. Uh, you know the franchise as we know it um it's very it's a it's a very different thing you know with the only kind of um similarity being that something happens last summer and now they um are reaping what they sowed the last summer so you know um I'd, if you if you're into kind of horror tv shows that have a kind of bit of a um you know an indie drama edge it's worth a watch. Um, so yeah, but I mean, does that does that sum up the story? Basically, it's a bunch of teenagers. That sums up the story, yeah. Um, you know, it's Club Dread without the comedy. Um, I guess, although they do they do try. <laughs> Bless them. Um, yes, because there is a mixture of like intentional gags and like a lot of unintentional gags. Yeah, my favourite one, I think, um, it's a little way into the film, but is um, the Will character really doesn't like flying. And uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's character, Tyrell, is like, oh, yeah, man, don't be a pussy-ass bitch, you know. I'll whoop your ass if you carry on being a pussy. And then it cuts to, like, uh, he's on a boat and he's, like, thrown up over the edge. He's like, oh, dude, man, don't worry. like You know, like, and it, I guess that's supposed to be funny. Um, yeah, I guess so. I get. I think. I think that's probably of the intentional gags. That's pr- probably one of the the funnier yeah. ones. Of like, yeah, because Will is like, yeah, it's not about you know, it's just about like uh, the equilibrium of the inner year and stuff like that. It's not about masculinity. Don't <laughs> take it that way, you know, yeah. kind of dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think, yeah, the film's overall problem is that um, it treats Will the way that it treats Will. Um, if that makes any sense. Like, mm-hmm. he's a little bit too much Clark Kent for me. You know? Like, um, yeah. I mean, Christopher Reeves, Clark Kent, you know, where he's, like, tripping over and, like, on purpose and stumbling around and, like, oh, sorry, I'm so clumsy and goofy, you know, but really Superman. Um, and it's a little bit, I don't know, it feels like cheating to me when a character is the killer, but they have a completely different personality until they become the killer. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, uh... so much so that, like, it would be almost impossible to keep up the facade. Like... I... Yeah, I know what you mean by that. Um, and it's a really kind of uh, clunky reveal where... Yeah. Where, where Julie... Because he is... Um, it seems like he's wounded. He's, he's He's got this t-shirt that's covered in blood. It seems like he's got so he's been like stabbed or something and uh, then like julie like pulls up his shirt and like really dumbly is like i can't find the wound i can't find the wound like like she you know if she just looks harder she's going to find it eventually um so it takes her like a real long time to get john and then he goes that's because it's not my blood and then he repeats the line in a deeper voice because uh, that's what happens in slasher yeah. movies. With an sometimes. evil face this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then this... <laughs> Wait, he drops his he drops yeah. his expression and he drops the an octave of his voice and then he goes, "Cause it's not my blood." And you're like, "All right, oh, it's he's in on it." Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, that's this film's overall main problem is that it's like um, it's like a ten year old sort of the twists. Yes. Um, you know, and because. Uh, I'll, I'll jump into the, the radio show stuff uh, and then we'll jump back a little bit. Um, so they win a radio show. So you know these radio shows where they you answer the phone, they call like a random number and they answer and say, all right, if you can answer this question, you get a free holiday or whatever. I guess it's a bigger thing in America, although they do have them here as well, um, you know. Um, so they win a trip to the Bahamas by answering, what is the capital of Brazil? And um, they think it's Rio de Janeiro, um, which, like, doesn't even sound like a wrong answer to me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, um, obviously, I think that's why this twist doesn't quite work. um, Because I think if it had been something a bit more obvious, I would have gone, I'm sure that's not right. Do you know what I mean? But... Um, So it was quite... Even the first time I watched this, and maybe this is uh, me because, like, um, I I like football, so I have uh, some some minor uh, geographical knowledge of, yeah. of South American countries. Um, so even watching this for the first time, uh, in like the first time I saw it, I like me and a group of friends like uh, rented it, uh, like nineteen ninety nine or whatever, and. Um, and even then, I was like, "Yeah, I don't think that's the capital of Brazil." Like that seems that's <laughs> interesting. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I just it wasn't it wasn't so obvious that I like I second guessed it or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Right, yeah. Um. <clears throat> so then the film later reveals that because they tell like the groundskeeper when they get there, 
you know, oh, we won and because the answer was Rio de Janeiro, uh, you know, is the capital of Brazil and all this. And he doesn't say anything. He goes, oh, cool. Uh, and then later on, he like shows up going, I knew you were, you were all being tricked to come here because the capital is Brasilia. And I was like, so I can see what you tried to do there, but it's <laughs> it's presented in the worst way possible that like, honestly, halfway through the film, I was like, oh, yeah, like this is the only thing I really remember about this is that like the raid the the place they said on the like the answer they gave on the radio phone in was wrong and that's how they know it's a trap um you know yeah and i think the extra way that it's like super silly the way they present that twist supposed twist is like they've been running around running away from the killer in, in the storm they'd already survived a, a, a couple of things at this point they've seen like a bunch of dead bodies but you know in classic horror movie style the group splits up and then like julie uh played by jennifer love hewitt and um, another character caroline played by brandy like they're both like in the hotel lobby and then all of a sudden for no reason uh julie is magically like a magnet attracted to this globe that is in the lobby and then is just looking around the globe and then finds with her finger that Brasilia is the capital of, like, just points to Brasilia on the map of Brazil and then Bill Cobb's character pops up behind her and is like, yes, that's the capital of Brazil. And you're like, well, this is the clunkiest possible way you could yeah, have presented like... this information. <laughs> oh, and it's it's... And like that, that's what I'm talking like. That's kind of like if it, that feels like a 10 year old wrote that twist. Do you know what I mean? Um, because the other one is when Will reveals that, um, I, shortly after Will reveals that, um, he's the killer, he then reveals that he's also the son of um, Ben Willis, who's the fisherman from the first yes. movie. Um, and he goes, Didn't you realize? Will Benson, Ben's son. And I was like, <laughs> but I thought, okay, there's a few problems there. Right, you've gone to a lot of effort to get them here in the first place. Why on earth would you give yourself a name that would give yourself away? Like, in the first place. And then, like, it was almost, it's almost as if, like, he thought he'd been so clever that he didn't want her to miss out on that fact. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, by the way, in case you didn't get it, Benson is Ben's son. Like, it's also, as far as I'm aware, that's the first time they mention his second name in the film. can't actually remember it's this weird thing you know, i just watched it last night i can't actually remember if they mentioned his surname is benson well, they might they did, have done i really it. didn't notice it i uh, think it was like possibly i think it possibly was mentioned really early on in the film but like it's like a throwaway thing it's not well, like, like I'm, I'm got, checked by his full name like a whole bunch of times they possibly could have mentioned his second name, you know, like when they introduced him or when she was talking about, oh, maybe you fancy that Will guy or whatever. And I was like, nah, I like, I can't think of any moments where they said his second name. And if they did, even then, why would I make like a note of that? You know what I mean? Like, 
Um, yeah. Okay, so I this is the thing because it's presented. Um, it's presented as this kind of riddle that you could have worked out, but like, yeah. why would you even think about that? Why yeah. would you even be like, take apart a character's surname, unless it, you know, um, maybe you've been reading, you know, unless it's like super, super obvious of like, oh, that's quite funny. Like, there's like, um, in the third Harry Potter film. Like the guy who becomes a werewolf is called Professor Lupus, yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, okay, that you know, it's like, oh, it's kind of embedded there. He's Lupus. Oh, of course he's a werewolf. You know, like, but Ben's son, Ben's son. You know, I mean, that's a leap. You know. <laughs> also, like, I mean, I know they say um, Ben Willis like a few times in the film, but really, honestly. Like you don't really remember the name of the killer as the name of the killer. You just remember him as the fisherman. So, like, that's true. So it doesn't really register that much, even when they say his name. Like you just kind of take that as like passing information, you know. Like, um, so it's yeah. I don't know. It's like when people say Billy Loomis, but you go, oh, you mean like Ghostface? You know, like, um, you think of Ghostface rather than the name of the killers in Scream, I suppose. Um, yeah you do because like i mean billy loomis is kind of the only one that i rem- remember it's it's like uh, oh yeah stew, okay. uh stew oh man what's his second name yeah is is the is accomplice in the first one is stew something i can't uh, remember his surname uh, mickey the freaky tarantino film student uh is the only one i remember from the sequels um oh okay and because that's they refer to him as that in the trailer, and I watched that trailer probably about two hundred times before the film came out. Um, yeah, and that's Mr. right. I, and the screen two, it's like, it's like Billy's mum is yeah. the accomplice, and I can't even remember the name of the main guy, but like, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's Timothy the Elephant, but he's called Mickey. Um, mm. but that's that's all I remember. Um, okay. I can't remember the name of the director in the third one who turns out to be Sydney's brother or whatever. I, I'm sorry if anyone hasn't seen Scream, by the way. Uh, <laughs> We're just again, completely spoiled. Just, but... And in the fourth one, it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in the newest one... Emma Roberts! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, that one was... So, it's the, anyway, actually, this brings yeah. me up to Scream really well because yeah, this right. follows like the Scream 2 formula almost to the letter um where they basically go okay so she's this this character who was like like a they were high school sweethearts in the first one now they're in college okay screen two checklist number one check okay she's kind of got a new boyfriend in will benson what a strange second name tick um you know uh, so new boyfriend uh, at, at, at a new college um, with her new um, ethnic minority best friend, um, because the first film, like very much like Scream, was white on white. So um, they've used the opportunity to kind of broaden the cast a little bit, which, you know, I always appreciate. Um, but this feels purposeful, like it does in Scream 2, where um, the cast of the first film is very, very, very. Um, not diverse so um so they overcompensate here a little um i mean it works in terms of the story but uh you know 
it definitely feels like it's a conscious decision. Although I did read that um, they cast Brandy because they liked her uh, in the audition, but I don't know how true that is because um, she was quite <laughs> famous at the time. So oh yeah, yeah, she's quite a big pop star at the time, late nineties. Yeah. 90s, yeah. So, yeah. but this the, the that's the um the scream uh, checklist. Oh, and oh, let's not forget a killer connected or related to the killer from the first the first movie let's uh so that's the scream 2 checklist i think done um you know and i think they've they've looked at scream 2 and went, what does scream 2 do let's do that um they have but, yeah but this is <laughs> this is like um they've gone like oh we'll take the scream 2 template yeah uh but What's what can we do that's different than, than Scream Two, and it's like oh, instead of like making it a mystery, like Scream Two, and because like previously they've been kind of you know the, the Scream movies mysteries, and even to an extent you're kind of like oh well maybe the Ben Willis was never really dead. You know, I mean, there's a hint of kind of supernatural, but you're kind of like, oh, maybe he just wasn't dead. Right, okay, we'll accept that. But this is like, if Scream 2 was like, uh, the killers are Billy Loomis's mum and Billy Loomis again. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Yeah, it's very much like, uh, yeah, it's, it's taken its cues from it, but I guess it's, it's, I mean, I've, I, I'm struggling to remember the first one. I only watched it last year as well, the very end, but I was fairly certain that he was kind of definitively dead at the end of the first one. Um, yes. Which even today, when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, the fisherman died in the first one though. And it's from my memory, his son, and he's one of the guys who comes along. And then I was like, okay, there's only one white guy, so it was him. Um, you know, um, so uh, I, I'd forgotten there was two killers. So all the way through the film, every time he showed up with a beard, you know, like I thought, like, are they just really testing, like, my uh, observational skills to see if I'll notice that he has a beard all the way up until the, until the reveal? Or is it like a, supposed to be like a subconscious thing where people just see him as the fisherman, but when he reveals his identity, it will be the, you know, the son. Um, and I really couldn't remember how it played out. Um, so it was a real surprise to me um, when it, it turned out the fisherman was in fact still alive. Yeah, because he, he seemed like pretty definitively dead. Like, because yeah. they dispatched with him, like, on the boat and that. You know, yeah. and he's, he's he's really fucked up. Um. <laughs> yeah, so I, like, I thought, I, like, I, I was thinking, I thought to myself, like, because I thought it bordered on ludicrous that he was still alive at the end of the first one, but I thought, you know, maybe, like, it's a spooky thing or, you know, it's someone else or, you know, or whatever. Like, um. so, well, we'll come back to all this in a minute. Um, so my next point. So before they win the radio show, we come back to meet Freddie Prince Jr. again after the events of the first one. He's come to surprise uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt at uh, college. And I've written here, unreasonable Ray, because 
like she doesn't want to go back to her hometown because she's still kind of haunted by nightmares of this whole thing. And the town where it happens, obviously, is a huge trigger for her. So she's like, I really, I'm not ready to go back there. And he's like, well, I've got to work. You're trying to avoid me. Am I the problem? And she's like, no, like, not at all. It's just, you know, that's where our friends were murdered and someone tried to kill us. So I'm not, I don't feel massively comfortable about going there. He's like, well, fuck you then, bitch. And like, fucks off. And I was like, Jesus, man. Um, you know, um, so then they win this radio show, um, these four tickets to the Bahamas. And this is where things get a little bit like, hang on a second. So um, she rings Ray and says, hey, man, do you want to come to the Bahamas? And he's like, oh, the Bahamas, eh? Oh, so you would, you didn't want to come back to this shitty fishing village with me, but you'll go to the Bahamas, will you? Like, and she's like, what? Like, and then he hangs up the phone and goes, I just really love my girlfriend, you know? I was going to propose <laughs> to her and everything. And you're like, what? And his mate's like, yeah, well, you should. Um, and he's like, okay, you're right. You know what? I should call her back and tell her I'm a dick. And you think, oh, good, good lad. You know, a bit of sense. And his mate goes, no, 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 no. What we do is we don't take the free ticket to the Bahamas. We drive to the Bahamas and surprise her. And at that point, I kind of thought, this is, and I'm not kidding, the worst plan I've ever heard in my life. Like... <laughs> It's just, what? I mean, and then when you consider what happened, so it's at this point you start to get the feeling that Freddie Prince Jr. really didn't want to do this. And so he was like, look, can I be there for like a couple of days? Is there a way you can make that happen? So I'm, you know, so that I'm abiding by my contract, but like, you know, I'm not there too much. Um, because they're on their way to the Bahamas, I guess, down the road, when uh, they see a car crashed with someone in a fisherman's outfit lying in the middle of the road. Um, now, out of the two of them, one of them's faced the fisherman before, which is Freddie Prince Jr., and his friend hasn't. Um, so which one of these men do you think gets out of the car and goes to investigate, and which one of these do you think is overly cautious? about that situation <clears throat> well uh of course the obvious answer is our hero ray is is the one who marches out of the car <laughs> and um dave played in a cameo by john hawks who i, I think is a great actor i, I did not yeah. remember him being in this movie um but uh yes Got, and he's still fun in the minimum screen time he gets he's still fun so he's good to yeah. john hawks there um but yes yeah, so like ray gets out the car and then it's a it's a dummy and oh, it's oh he's been tricked and but again this is this is one of the movie's downfalls is like the way the movie like does like the blocking and stuff like that it makes every kill like super obvious of like what's going to happen yeah of being like just the way they frame uh the character of dave you're like, oh yeah, Dave's gonna get it. 
You know, like, <laughs> he's going to be killed any second like, now. And then, like, yeah, he's got a hook in his throat. over to, like, the roadside of, the of like, the, the window on the roadside to give him, like, the killer enough space to drag him through a window. Like, you know, it's just the whole thing is just, like, telegraphed from a mile away. Um, <laughs> so then the killer tries to run Ray over, Freddie Prince Jr., but he does a terrible job because basically he just does like a couple of forward rolls down a hill and then ends up in hospital. I think yeah. that we should mention that like Ray manages for quite some distance. We're talking maybe a couple of hundred meters to outrun a car. I know he's doing the zigzag run, but yeah. still he is outrunning a car. Yeah, he is. And um, what's with trucks in movies not stopping for nothing? Like, so. Like, oh, I've no idea. I want you to imagine like you're a, you're a truck driver, yeah? You're driving down the road, um, it's the middle of the night, and you say suddenly, oh my God, there's someone running towards me in the road, and someone's chasing them in a car. What the hell's going on? I better stop and see what's happening. Not, oh, I better drive at them. Hopefully they'll get out the way. <laughs> like, um, it's just, it's one of those things that, and they always honk their exact same horn on the way past, <laughs> like, and you're like, what, what is happening? What is with truck drivers in horror movies? Um, but yeah, so he, he falls down a hill, um, Jonah Hill, no, down a hill, and, um, and he ends up in hospital. And that's basically, he gets kind of sidelined from the film. He does have a few more scenes, um, but they take part in a completely different film, really. Um, can can I mention a, a couple of those scenes because like, they really don't make sense to me? Well, let um, okay, let's split into two movies and let's discuss the Ray timeline. Okay, so in the Ray timeline, there's a couple of scenes that make no sense and like don't need to be in the movie. So the first scene is like he's really worried for Julie, so he tries to phone the hotel. Yeah. Which is kind of like, it's a scene that kind of makes sense in that, like, oh, you know, um, if he, if, if, like, you could just have, there's a specific reason why I don't think it makes sense. The scene works if you're just seeing Ray's side of, like, him phoning and him not getting anybody and then, like, him putting the phone down and being like, shit, I'm not getting anybody. Let's, let's bust and bust out and let's, let's go and uh, just go there. You know, yeah. that's fine. What doesn't make sense is you see the phone ringing in the hotel and it does that thing that happens in horror movies where you have like the slow pan onto the phone. But that generally happens in horror movies when a character is reacting to it like oh no the killer's on the phone again you know like in scream like in the opening yeah. scene of scream and and like in other movies where it's like oh my god wait a second the killer's in the house oh you know like you know whatever is it there's scenes like that but like because it's just like a slow pan onto a phone doing that kind of suspense thing but there's actually nothing happening at that time and there's nobody at the... You know, it just doesn't make any sense. So that scene doesn't make sense. No. Um, also, and I mean, bear in mind that we have been privy to his entire conversation about this trip to the Bahamas. Yeah. Did he call an international operator and go, Operator, 
get me the Bahamas. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, well, where? The hotel in the Bahamas. Are you are you you're talking about one of the biggest holiday destinations in the world? And you want you want me to get you a, a, any hotel? There's there's a lot. You know, like and so like it just yeah, because the hotel name is never is never mentioned. It's to, just like so he a doesn't hotel know the, hotel in the Bahamas. Name. So is there one hotel in the Bahamas? I mean, I don't think that's true. I don't know hundred percent. Maybe it's just one big hotel. But I'm fairly certain the Bahamas has several hotels minimum. Um, you know, yes, yeah, so I feel hotels. like it's probably got quite a few hotels. So, but Freddie Prince Jr. is, is such a hero that he just goes, "International operator, get me the Bahamas." And they go, right away, sir. Putting you through they now. Just, they, they, they just put him through. They just put him through. Um, uh, so the other scene that doesn't make any sense uh, that is it literally just padding is there is a scene where he's obviously going on a bus to get to somewhere to get to the place oh, yeah. that, to get the to get the boat to the Bahamas, um, like I, it's it's it also like it's not explained how far he sails, but anyway, we'll not get into that. Uh, so the scene on the bus, there he's just on the bus, he's kind of recuperating, he's he's taking some painkillers because he's got a broken arm and stuff like that, his face is all busted up, and then we get this kind of again, we get this camera focusing on this this old woman giving him a weird look and being like. Ugh, what's that guy up to? And then it just cuts to the next scene. And you're like, what? And yeah, then, like, like the, the, it's not connected to anything else in the film. Like, the old woman doesn't yeah. appear as, like, Ben Willis's wife or something. Yeah. You know, like, but it's, it it's just like not it's connected to anything. From the first film, where for a while we think he's the killer. Like, so it's almost like the, they've, the writers have forgotten that we've, no, we've been through that. We established he, he's not the killer. Um, so don't don't worry about that. And they've gone. But what if he was? What if what if what if he's still the killer? You know, like it feels like that kind of that moment yeah. where it's it's casting doubt upon a character that we've already seen was nearly killed by the killer, but yet they haven't quite remembered that we, he's not a suspect anymore. We did that last movie. That's over now. Um, yeah. There's then a bit yeah. where he goes to buy a gun. And he trades in the the engagement ring to buy a gun, mm. um, and I couldn't help but think, uh, like, so, like, I know you got run off the road and stuff, but you're not like, you're not like a fugitive or anything, like, you know, you still have like a bank account and stuff, pal, you know. And and things like that. You're not like you're not on the run. You're not Harrison Ford. You're you just walked out of a hospital. That's all. Like you still have a bank account and all that stuff. Like so, just you know, go to the ATM, withdraw your cash or whatever. Go in the overdraft if you have to. But that feels like a really drastic move to um, to 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 sell his engagement ring. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, it's to show how important it is for him to save a life or whatever, but it 
seems strange. Yes, I think that there's a lot of things in this that's supposed to either increase the emotion or yeah. increase the suspense, but it's kind of done in in a silly way. That's just kind of if you actually think about it for more than a second, yeah, you're you're like ah, this does not make any sense. Yeah, like you can imagine that, like in a more competent movie, that would be a big moment. But because it's just completely disjointed from everything else, um, it just, you know, um, it it feels weird. Like it feels like it's like it's someone's trying to stuff some substance into it. Um, I should also mention at this point that um, Mark Boone Jr. plays the pawn shop guy. Um, so he's, uh, I think his most famous film is probably Batman Begins. He plays yeah, like one of the, I uh... feel like he's probably, I think, yeah, I think he's most, people will most recognize him from that or if they're fans of Sons of Honor. Okay. Oh, see, I didn't know he was in that, but he's, he's also in John Carpenter's, uh, Vampires as well, you see. All right. So yeah, so he is. And he uh, always plays like similar characters. Yeah, like very much characters. like that, that character. You know, yeah, he's always a bit of a kind of scuzzy guy, you know, like. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it was just interesting to a nice little cameo there, um, which will lead me on to some bloodier. Well, let's finish Ray's the Ray timeline first and then we'll. Uh... So Ray goes and steals a boat. Um Although I'm glad he was sailing it because it looked like he was also going to get the guy to sail him there. And I was like, doesn't he work on a boat? Um, and my wife was like, oh, yeah. Um, and I was like, so shouldn't he know how to to sail? Like, you know, how to you, to drive a boat? Uh, but then to to the film's credit, he do, there is a shot of him driving the boat in the storm across to the island. Um, and then, and then we don't really see him until he shows up right at the end at the most convenient moment possible to shoot. Uh, you know, he tries to shoot the fish. See, this is the problem with Ray's story is it doesn't really do anything. He turns up with a gun. He tries to shoot the killer and the gun doesn't work. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, he, he does do something. So, like, he, like, beats up Will, but then Will turns the table and beats up him. Yeah. And then Will kind of has, like, drags Ray up and uh, ha has, like, Ray's kind of arms, you know, so he, he, can't, he can't get out kind of thing. Um, so that Ben can, like, finish him off. The fisherman can finish him off. But Ray then hits will with a back fist uh, which leads the the fisherman to kill his own son which distracts the fisherman just long enough because he's so kind of like Aah! that julie can shoot and and kill yeah ben. so i i guess he does do something yeah I mean, but, but he i kind mean, of fucks up his rescue but like yeah something. but i mean for all the effort he went to you do feel like fuck man you're useless <laughs> He did um, fuck it. He did fuck it up. But I mean, that was a useful backfist, I guess. 
Yeah. Also, unlike a final fuck up from uh, Freddie Prince, the Fre- the Freddie fuck ups as we call him, um, is that he didn't he didn't check the windows in the last scene. Um, you know, too busy brushing his teeth, and uh, he didn't make sure all the, the house was secure. So that's kind of down to him as well. Um, do you think? By the way, do you think that's that line is improvised? Like when he. <laughs> Like at the end, there's like a weird bit where he's like doing his teeth and then he just admiringly looks at his toothbrush and goes, God, I love this toothbrush. Yeah, like what the Puts it away. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, I I just have no idea. Like, it's baffling. Um, I don't know. It's just, well, so... I mean, he's in the film for collectively probably about seven or eight minutes, I think. Yeah. I mean, he really... Freddie Prince Jr. is... I, no offence to the guy. He seems like a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a slightly limited actor in, in the first place. But he he seems really not to be caring in this. He, he is really phoning in his performance. Yeah, it feels uh, like he didn't he didn't want to be there and he said, look, can we make it so that I'm not there for very long? Will that work? And they went, okay. Um, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned bad acting because, I mean, I, I won't have a bad word said against the Fred Prince of Bel-Air, but... Um, but <laughs> But Jennifer Love Hewitt, on the other hand, my goodness. Um, and I remember noticing this the first time round, that she just acts with her arms and none of the rest of herself. Like... Oh, so, like, I did quite like the reprise of... Because one of the funniest moments in the first I I, I Know What You Did is... What are you waiting when for? When she does the, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Which is pirated in, pirated in Scary Movie. Yeah. I mean, it's like the exact same scene. It's the same framing. Yeah. It's the same everything. It's just like Anna Faris doing it instead of yeah. uh, Jennifer Love. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I did quite like that they kind of reprised that. Yeah, she does like a lot of arm flailing. Yeah, I, again, if you she's... watch Brandy, <laughs> as the film goes on, you know Brandy starts doing it as well because she's obviously... I mean, she wasn't really an actress so much when she'd done this. Um, so it I feels like she's been picking up acting story. cues from Jennifer Love Hewitt throughout the film. So by like the last few scenes, Brandy's doing all the arm acting as well. And you're like, bloody hell, stop with the arm acting. Like, it's infectious. Oh my God. It's, uh, I mean, I remember thinking this in the first one, every character feels so charismatic, except for Jennifer Love Hewitt. And it's the same here again. Like, well, I, I think like um, one of the things that is actually kind of a, an improvement on the first one, I think, is that like every slasher movie has to have like an asshole character who doesn't believe what's going on and kind of being like, "Pah, what? What are you talking about?" You know, yeah. like, and in. In the first one, it's Ryan Felipe. In this one, it's Mickey Pfeiffer. Yeah. And Mickey Pfeiffer is like good at being the asshole, and like the running joke of him being like super horny all the time and like not getting any is is actually quite entertaining. 
and him, his general demeanor kind of like makes sense of like, he feels like a kind of character, a heightened character, but a kind of character that exists. Whereas on the other hand, Ryan Felipe's character in the first one is fucking insane. Like his, like he'll just go like from zero to a hundred anger in some scenes, and you're like, where the fuck yeah. did that come from? And he just like shouts some of his lines, like like he'll be saying a normal line, and he'll just shout the next line, and you'd be like, what the hell? This guy is clearly a sociopath. Like this guy needs help. <laughs> like... Yeah. Um, I I, don't, I quite like Mackay Pfeiffer in this. Yeah. I, I think um, in some funny. ways, but he's so horribly written at the same time. Like, oh no, it's, it's he's it, like. I mean, the writing in general is terrible. He's like, like there's like a bit where they're like being chased by the killer, and he's like, "God damn it, I'm hungry and I'm fucking horny," and he looks at his girlfriend like accusingly, and you're like, "Okay, pal, it's like a time and a place." And then the um, you know, the bar lady um, who they find, she's like, "What the hell's going on?" And he's like, "Listen, don't get her started on that. She'll talk about serial killers all day." What's the most important thing is this is fucking ruining my holiday. Like, and you're like, what? Like, yeah, he's just. So that, that line, that, that kind of thing just before his death, like, really doesn't make sense because, like, they're still kind of playing it as if, like, his, basically his last line is like, ah, yeah, and it'd be like, he's talking about a fucking psychopath. I've not even seen one psychopath yet. And, and then he dies. And it's like, that's fine. That's the kind of line that's fine. Like, you know, a little while ago when, you know, there's been no clear evidence to anybody other than Julie that there is a killer on the list. But by this stage, he's seen a bunch of dead bodies. It is very clear that Julie's story is true by this stage. So the line he's saying there just makes no sense yeah, at all. Absolutely. All I mean, uh, not even, not to mention the fact that, like, the killer manages to just fucking sneak up on him, like, you know, without anyone seeing it, even though he's having a conversation with everybody. Like, it's just baffling. But um, outside of the main cast, there are, I don't want to say good. Well, no, one of them's really good. Um, there I, are, I would say but, a couple of them are quite... Are, are quite fun. There are, also, there are a I couple just, of great cameos, I think. There is a um, couple of great cameos. Can I just say one wait, one last thing about the yeah, dialogue? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's some insane lines in this script. And, and I, I think there's one line in it that really sticks in my head. And it's really throwaway. But I was just like, what? Nobody has ever said that. Like, so this film was made in 1998. When they're flying over... Like, Will has a panic attack about being scared to fly. And he's listing off all these reasons why he's scared to fly. And most of those reasons make sense. Like, the reasons that most people would say they're scared to fly. But one of the things he says is like, Yeah, and now people can buy buy surface-to-air missiles on the internet. And I was like, really? People were like, like going through an AOL search engine and being able to buy surface-to-air missiles? Is that correct? Like, Is that what you're really telling me? When Amazon didn't even exist at that point, did it? No, I don't think so. Exactly. Like, you know, and it was fucking hard to buy anything off eBay back then. Like, oh. 
Anyway, sorry. No, I just, no, no. I felt like that line needed yeah. to be mentioned. Well, I mean, I'll I'll get into Will in a bit, but he like that whole that character's a whole problem on his own. So yeah, there are uh, there are a couple of great cameos in this. Um, so the first is uh, Bill Cobbs from Demolition Man um, and the Oz, Oz the Great and the Powerful, the stuff I know him from. Um, who plays Estes? Who's like the um, they refer to him as marginally. Uh, I'll get into that in a minute, but um, yeah, the uh, he's like the hotel porter. Um, Jeffrey Combs as the hotel manager, um, and like. This is, this is, uh, I think, probably one of the most interesting parts of the film. Um, because what I don't understand is, the second Jeffrey Combs showed up in this film, I was like, why didn't this stuff like this happen more in the 90s? Like, with stuff like Scream and, like, Valentine, and, you know, this era of slasher movies. Mm. Why didn't we get more cameos like this from, you know actors from kind of like the big classic franchises then, you know? Um, because Jeffrey Combs suddenly adds like, it's weird, like a little bit of like class to it, you know, like, and a little bit of like authenticity, like horror authenticity to it that the film kind of lacks otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's weird that like, um... You, yeah, like you say, like particularly because a lot of these um, films kind of post-Scream uh, were so kind of meta and stuff that you didn't get more of the... You know, yeah, you almost got like more cameos like in, in the kind of next phase of horror in the kind of like torture porn, particularly with like yeah. Rob Zombie films and stuff like that, where it was like all horror cameos all the time of like every character was like oh they were uh, you know in exploitation films in the 70s or whatever um so it is interesting that and jeffrey combs he does bring i mean i suppose gravitas is maybe a stretch to when talking about this film but he does let's say gravitas um he does bring some gravitas to to the movie and like every scene he's in he's great in yeah. like i think when they first meet him and um because it, it feels authentic as well because he doesn't want to be there it's the it's the off season you know he's he's tired he's obviously been the wholesale manager for a long time so his kind of bored speech of like the hotel opens in the 1920s. We've had several Hollywood luminaries stay here. Julie Gardner stayed here once. This is clearly like a speech he said like yeah. a thousand times, and he's fed up of saying it, it. And he particularly doesn't want to say it to these stupid kids who aren't even paying the big money. So fuck them. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it really rings true. And it's yeah, I think his performance as his character, Mister Brooks, is is great in the couple of scenes he manages to get. Um, um, and it's only because he delivers this portion of the film that I, I that I feel like it's even slightly believable, because he suddenly just goes, "Oh yeah, it's storm season, Fourth of July, like clockwork, it comes rolling in," and I was like, "Hang on a second, what? Why is this only being mentioned now? Like there were literally people holidaying a minute ago, like you know, like 
um, when they came on the island, there was people with them. Like, you know, there were people walking around in bikinis and stuff. And now suddenly, like, it's setting it up like, oh, yeah, they're out here on their own on an island by themselves. And I was like, but we've just watched them walk through, like, a holiday resort. Um, What? Like, it's just so weird. Um, But because Jeffrey Combs delivers it, you're like, well, okay, I believe you, but... um. You know, it stops it being beyond ludicrous. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Because, like, when they come off the boat, it feels like a bustling resort. Mm. And then when they get to the hotel, it's like Which the is resort a walk is from dead. The, uh, and from it, the dock. Yeah. And when, yeah, when they get to the hotel, it's like the resort is dead. Yeah. And, um, and they start talking about it like it's a deserted place. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. From, and it feels like. At that moment in the script, they were like, oh, yeah, it needs to be deserted now, doesn't it? So now it is. Um, and that's how that... Because it does of... feel weird, like, because when they fir- the first night they're there, when they go to the bar, and it's just, like, the two guys, and you're like... And, and they're like, oh, you know, it's they're talking about how dead it is. And you're like, but, yeah, what happened to all those people on the beach when you yeah. first came here? Like, are they in a different hotel? Or was it was it that literally everybody's last day? Like, uh, did they all yeah. go that afternoon? Because <laughs> like, Jack Black was... Uh, so that should get me on my next cameo as well. Jack Black shows up um, in what I can only assume was the inspiration for the main character in... Um, is it Lance? In... Um, Lars. Lars. In, um, in Club, Club Dread. Dread. Um, I can only assume he was the inspiration for that character. Um, but he's like walking around, like he's trying to sell them weed when they first get there. He's trying to sell everyone weed because there's loads of people there. And then he um, he starts like trying to crack on with like another girl who's walking around in a bikini and stuff. So it does really genuinely feel like there's a lot of people there, and then suddenly we're, they're like, no, there's no one here, and you go, oh, okay. Um, I guess that's what the plot needed, so we'll just accept that. And then um, Je- uh, Jeffrey Combs um, mentions that they only have five marginally trained off-season staff on. So, uh, but then Bill Cobbs when they when they when they try to take their old bags in their room goes, I've been doing this since you was a knee high nipper or whatever. Like uh, I like, think it was like before you were a, a twinkle in your dad's eye or yeah. something. So like, and I'm like, hang on, so which is it? Kind of is he is he marginally trained or is has he been is this his career? Like which one? Do you know what I mean? Like it what Jeffrey Combs is saying doesn't line up with um, with the people that are there. Um, I mean, except for possibly Jack Black, who I'm guessing is is um, some kind of staff member. Yeah. Um, he does say five, right? He says five marginal tip, but we only yeah. need like four. Where there's the dock hand as well. So hang on, there's so, Jack like, Black. There's, yeah, there's uh, Jack Bill Black. Parks, there's the laundry Bill lady. Cole. Yeah, and then and then like the Derek or Derek, the 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 dot guy. And then the bar, the bar lady, the bartender. So, so we got Bill Cobbs, Nancy yeah. the bartender, Jack yeah. Black, yeah. Derek the dot guy. Yeah, who's the fifth? 
Did we not just... Uh, I guess, does Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs count him? No, the, the, the laundry lady. Oh, the cleaning lady. Oh, the, yeah. oh, okay, that's the fifth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, well, I knew there was a fifth one. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah uh, right. But I mean, I, maybe, I, I thought for a second maybe Jeffrey Combs is counting himself. Mm. Um, but n- none of them seem, apart from Jack Black, none of them seem marginally trained. The dot guy seems like he's been there for a little while. He's playing yeah. like a kind of con where he's like for tourists to like really hammer yeah. up like a Caribbean accent, but actually he's... he's well, that's what know, I mean. And he, he suggests that they're off-season stuff, but he's like, it's coming to the end of the season. I've got to up my game to get some chicks kind of thing. And so you're like, well, so he's been here all this time. Like, so is he part of the off-season stuff? Um, what you're saying, Jeffrey Combs, doesn't really align with with what we're being given yeah uh, and and like nancy as well seems like seems like a hardened bartender like yeah, he absolutely. seems like somebody who's been like tending bar for years now you know it's um but it feels like that's what the script needs so that's what's happening whether it makes any sense or not um so well so the next thing i want to mention is because it does kind of so they they decide to just kind of hang around this now for some reason deserted uh holiday resort and um they decide to do karaoke and it's at this point coupled with the awful music video that's on the blu-ray and the fact that this is now i've heard jennifer love hewitt's um song played as background music in the film she starts singing i will survive i think yeah, I was uh, on the karaoke, and it's at this point that I suddenly realise that this isn't a film. This is Jennifer Love Hewitt's singing career showcase. Like, one hundred percent, she has insisted that she gets to show off how well she can sing. In you know, embroiled into this movie, like that's what she wants to get out of this. Yeah. So, like, there's, <laughs> there's. This is one of the things about this movie. I think most of the things... It's an enjoyable watch, this movie. It is. And most of the things that make it an objectively bad movie are also the things that make it entertaining. Absolutely. So, so like... So, and this is a classic example of that. This scene where she's all blushing and kind of like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly. So you think the scene is going to go down is like the way she so shyly does it. It's like, ah, uh, she's going to like sing badly or or whatever, or she's going to be not into it and just be singing like, I will survive. You know, like you know, because she's so traumatized and she doesn't want to like have fun. But no, she goes from like zero to a hundred of like being like, I couldn't possibly to being like, I'm a diva. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, but, like in terms of body language, everything like. Yeah, exactly. It's, oh, it's painful to watch. Um, it's an insane turn. And there's like, she wrote a song that's on the DVD. That's like, I don't even know how to describe the video for it. Um, like, I remember we when we watched it last year, me and my wife were howling at this music video. Like the angles and stuff they chose for it. And it's supposed to tie into like a slasher movie. And it's oh it's abysmal. 
in in every way. I've not um, seen this. Maybe I uh, it, it's this. on the it's on the Blu-ray. It might be on the DVD as well. I don't know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but um, and then they play the bloody song. Um, like. Uh, when we meet, um, when Freddie Prince Jr. is on the boat at the beginning, so I was like, "That this bloody song, I hate it," and it's already happening. Um, and then it's on the end credits as well, so that it feels like they're just oh, subjecting song. me to her singing the whole time. Yeah, I, I've uh, like I I didn't realize that that was actually her song. Like on the, mm. the end credits, that, that and it's song. just not good. Uh, but the music video is uh, especially hilarious. Um, I, I've got to check out this music video. I, it, I don't think I've ever seen the music video. I mean, just, obviously, I've heard the song. I'm not like, realizing um, I heard the song, but I don't know how to describe. It. It's been a while since I watched it, but it's kind of like the cameraman can't like kind of stay still, and he doesn't know how to frame a shot. Um. And it's oh, it's not good. Um, and I, like I've direct been directing music videos for a long time, and it like made me like go cross-eyed. It was so horrendously bad. Um, but I mean, maybe part of the reason why her um, music career didn't really take off. Um, the I mean, talking about camera work, this is a thing that I noticed in the film. This, this is like a filmmaker thing, maybe. Um, mm. But so we've got a big lavish production and it seems quite evident early on to me. I could be wrong here, um, but that they decided to shoot on anamorphic lenses, which wasn't really a thing for this kind of film back then. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they was kind of really safe for like huge productions. Um, so I have a feeling that they decided to shoot on anamorphic lenses. I mean, the film is wide, widescreen. Like, you know, it looks fancy. Um, and that's the reason why, I think. Um, but the other thing that makes me think that is there are a bunch of shots in this that are, like, mad out of focus. Um, like, uh, especially early on. And there's a scene where she's looking in the mirror and she turns around and it pulls focus on her face, but it can't hit it because... What I think it is is because it's an anamorphic lens, they're really hard to focus close up. So her whole face just isn't in focus, but it's supposed to be. Um, oh, and that happens yeah. like a bunch of times, like especially early on in the film. Um, and it just, I don't know whether it's that like um, they could afford an anamorphic setup, but they, you know, uh, because they had so much money, but they had never used one before. Uh, I don't know how the cinematographer was on this, actually. I should look that up. Um, Vernon Leighton. So what else has he done? Um, Seed of Chucky. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. Um, a bunch of TV movies. So, you know, that would suggest to me... Uh, like, but I just, from a filmmaking perspective, it's it's weird. It's uh, you know, it's it's like the filmmaking is as comp like the filmmaking technically is as competent as the writing almost. Like it brings mm. it to that level. Um, yeah. But it's weird because the film looks fancy because it's been shot on such an, such a nice setup. But it's uh, so 
Um, yeah, there's a kind of luscious look to the uh, <clears throat> to the film. Yeah, like it looks expensive. It looks like a mm-hmm. it looks like a bigger Hollywood movie than this kind of film usually would. I think. Yeah, um, there's a very glossy uh, yeah. look, look to it. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it's probably the best looking slasher movie of that era. Like in terms of, um, in terms of you know, like lighting and kind of. Uh, but yeah, some of the camera stuff technically is like a bit bizarre and out of focus, and uh, you know. But again, it could be because I've also what uh, been watching it on Blu-ray the last couple of times, so um, you know it's maybe stuff you wouldn't notice on a VHS or DVD transfer. But once you put it onto a Blu-ray, it's blaringly obvious that it's uh, you know they haven't hit focus a bunch of times. Um, so it's at this point that mm. I, um, I was, oh, sorry, go on. All right, sorry. Oh no, I, I just noticed. I didn't notice that so much because, like, I'm not a filmmaker myself. I noticed some of the kind of there's some some of the kind of clunkiness of, of some of the filmmaking. Some of the just in terms of like what I mentioned earlier yeah. about like the blocking being super obvious and some of the kind of clunky edits and stuff like that. And like, I did notice that there was some like weird shot decisions like there's a there's a scene early on where she's like i think it's when she's talking to ray on the phone about winning the competition and like the camera is just like slowly backing away from her in the in that way that you sometimes see in movies where like a character's had like a trauma or something and and then like (laughs) and then it it looks like the the you know the, the you get more and more distant from the character uh, and you know they become smaller and smaller and it's it's kind of it's got a kind of symbolic element to it but because it's just like a phone call i mean she's a bit disappointed by ray's response to the phone call but it it just kind of doesn't make sense it's just like why are you why are you doing that why are you making that short decision like yeah it's uh there's a lot of that in this though i feel like um you know it is a little bit <clears throat> like stuff's there because it looks fancy, but not because it's doing any jobs. Yeah. If you know and I, I, mean. I guess if you've watched quite a few movies, you associate certain shots uh, with yeah. like a, a certain meaning. And because like those shots don't have that meaning in this film, it's just like constantly confusing. It being like because <clears throat> you're constantly searching for the meaning in it, and then you realize, oh no, they just did it because like they they thought it looked cool to do that. Yeah, well, my wife said halfway through, she said, uh, <clears throat> there's like a close-up of Jack Black getting stabbed. And she goes, that looks like a shot we would do, you know, where it's obviously just some clothes draped over a cloth, like a pillow or something, being stabbed. And I was like, yep. Like, and it, it's, it kind of goes from, like, big kind of fancy, lovely, well-composed shots to, like, really cheap, crappy-looking stuff, like, kind of backwards and forwards. Like, ah, it's a bit of a strange, a mixed bag, really. Um, so uh, at this point in the film I obviously thought I had it all figured out because I was like well Will's the killer isn't he like I remember this now um, you know I remember that it's a white guy and he's the son of the the fisherman so I, at this point I'm like Will's the only killer though because the fisherman died at the end of the first one right like um, but then the fisherman starts all doing fisherman stuff but Will's in the jacuzzi with like the others, so I was like, 
All right. So, is it at this point? I'm not sure whether it's just bad writing or whether there's a second killer. Then, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then they introduce all the voodoo stuff with um Bill Cobb's character, um, where he's been steeped because the characters casually mentioned and like you'd hardly notice it unless like you were sitting making notes and paying attention. And the characters throughout have been going, oh, I'm missing my hair bubble. I want to tie my hair up. Or uh, where's my toothbrush gone? Uh, maybe that's what Freddie Prince Jr.'s toothbrush thing was about. But I mean, like, he, he wasn't there for that. I mean, Well, like, I know, but maybe it's right going, now, trust me, this toothbrush thing's all going to come... It's all going to come together at the end. You you just wait. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, he's, he's like casting like voodoo stuff on um, on like their object, like on their possessions and stuff, isn't he? Um, and I guess we're led to, we're supposed to believe that he's now, he's the killer, I guess. Um, or at uh, least yeah, embroiled in so. it in some and I, way. I guess we're only being... We're only being kind of mildly racist of being like, oh, it's a guy in a Caribbean island. Of course he knows voodoo. Well, also, when they find all the voodoo stuff in his shack, I was like, why does that look any different to the rest of the shack? Why did you open that cupboard and go, oh! like, that? this stuff's lying all over the place. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I guess, because yeah. there's a toothbrush in there. Oh, my God. Terrifying. But... Uh, that's because they've got their stuff maybe yeah, I, yeah uh, but like it, you it, say it's not that much different because there's like kind of uh, shrunken heads and skulls and stuff like yeah. kind of dotted about the whole flat and they're like la di da and they're not like, yeah, paying attention if they'd to that, opened but, it yeah. and it was like a shrine to Jennifer Love Hewitt you'd go okay like this is probably like a problematic you know but because it's just that's like true. more voodoo stuff you're like uh, okay I mean have you looked around the rest of the room like um <clears throat> so this brings me to like my main criticism of the film i think um okay. so at the beginning of the film jennifer love hewitt has a nightmare we discussed that in the church at the beginning big lavish scene where the killer comes together and she wakes up screaming in class and then she comes out of class where we meet her new romantic interest, Will, uh, who they're talking to. And then a bunch of kids throw some firecrackers on the floor, which make her scream, while shouting, Happy Fourth of July. So we've now established that it is, like it was last time, the Fourth of July, uh, when this, this stuff takes place. So then we have at least one night um, between those two, those, you know, between that and the next day when they go to Brazil, because they win the radio show that day, I think. Yeah. Then Freddie yeah. Prince Jr. drives out at night to go and surprise her and what you call it, his friend gets killed and he gets put in hospital. And then the next day they go to the island. So surely now... It's happy 5th of July, right? Well, actually, yeah. No, I'm just trying to think because... So when the firecrackers are thrown to her, so they, they, at that point, that's when they say happy 4th of July, right? Yeah. So, like, if you... Th because, like, then, 
like uh, then that night they go to the nightclub. Oh that's, yeah. That same day they go to the nightclub, and then the next morning is when they win oh, the competition. Yeah. So like, so like by the end of the movie, it should be like July sixth or seventh. I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. But it's fucking. It's July fourth all the way up to the end. Um, in in the last scene. Um. They mention it's July fourth, and at that point, I was like, oh, what?" But they mention it a bunch of times throughout the film. And um, when they get to the hotel, they say to Jeffrey Combs, "Oh, hi, we're here to be on the island." And he goes, "That Fourth of July, the storm season rolls in, and everyone just fucks off." And I was like, See, "At that point in the film, it still made sense to me because I, I was like, because I think Jeffrey Combs says it's Fourth of July weekend, or they say it's Fourth. The right, July weekend. Okay. So it's like, oh, it's like a holiday weekend. But then, it, what what doesn't make sense is the end of the movie when she says, "What date is it?" And then Brandy says to her, "July 4th yeah. And you're like, "No." <laughs> I, like, yeah. At this point, it fucking absolutely cannot be. Like, because as well, when they turned the hotel, I thought maybe like it's like a time zone thing. But I feel like that should at least be explained. Like. You know, otherwise they fit a lot into a day and they went to like a morning club and, you know, like, it just baffling. Um, also, I mean, this is nothing to do with that, but they don't establish that Brandy lives with her. We just kind of have to pick up on that at some point. Because um, she's like walking around a house with a knife, like, who's there? At the beginning of the film. And then like Brandy's like, oh, sorry, I just came to borrow a dress. And you're like, Right, okay. Why are you in a house? Like, because yeah. the way she was acting was like someone who lives alone and there's an intruder in her house. But then later we established that they live together. But so why was that weird in the first place? I don't know. Like, yeah, I honestly don't know because like in that kind of scene when, when she first comes... Like, cause that that seems ridiculous. Because like they try and play it for suspense and totally fail. But the the other thing about that scene is, yeah, it seems like Brandy is she's like kicking about and it, she's like dropped over to to get this dress, but also like to kind of drag her out to the this nightclub or whatever. But so it's very much played as if Brandy lives somewhere else. But when they when the competition, when they get the phone call about the competition, it very much seems like they live together, and and it's like, oh. yeah, yeah. So it really doesn't add up at all. <laughs> also, like, really confusing. Brandy's like a horrible friend. Like, she's like, oh yeah, your your boyfriend sucks. Like, why? I don't know. Like, because he does. Uh, you should go out with this other guy instead. Like. And she's just awful, like real, like a really bad friend, um, you know, um, like that. She gives her like horrible advice, but again, it just feels like it's there to push the plot forward. Um, I, f I can't believe I haven't even mentioned this yet. So, what was Will's plan here? Was he going to? His plan was to get them to go to the island, but did he not think for a second she'd invite her boyfriend? And then was his plan to know that he'd say no and then try and surprise her? Or did he plan just to go and 
stop him going there anyway or like and then like surely if she got a phone call saying oh hey your boyfriend nearly got run over and now he's in hospital or your boyfriend is if his plan had worked dead then surely she'd be like oh, i'm gonna have to cancel this trip to the bahamas guys uh, someone's killed my boyfriend freddie prince jr so i just i can't quite figure out his plan like, I mean, it worked uh, out, I, but you couldn't so have like, planned for that. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he couldn't have planned. For, there's a lot of things like that in the, in, in the movie. Like, I think the plan as a whole, I mean, even by slasher standards, because like, there's, there's some slasher films that have incredibly elaborate uh, plots, but this is the most probably the most ridiculously convoluted plan of any villain in any slasher movie yeah i think because it's even more convoluted like than something like a have you ever seen happy birthday to me yes so even like happy birthday to me has a ridiculously convoluted plan the killer has a ridiculously convoluted plan where it tries to convince the final girl that she's the killer but it turns out that the, she is just being like chloroformed throughout the film yeah and um it, this is revealed in a very scooby-doo ending which is hilarious and really makes that movie but this even trumps something like that that seems off the scale convoluted because it's there's so many different individual parts of it like the i take it that ben uh the fisherman and will must have come up with this plan together yeah and like so the start of the plan because like the character brandy plays says that uh when like ray drops out and then will's in is like oh well you know uh will's like one of my best friends or whatever you know so he's been there for a while so first of all first step of the plan they embed will in the college that jennifer love hewitt's at for yeah. at least a semester so yeah. he's there for <laughs> at least a semester doing nothing just kind of becoming friends with them and the fisherman is doing nothing for quite some time. Yeah. And then they try and rig up a radio competition, um, which I presume that no matter what answer they gave, it, they would say it's the right answer. Why not ask an uh, easier question, though? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm not what sure. What is your I'm not name? Sure why they don't ask them an easier question. <laughs> but then the next stage of the thing is that they convince a hotel in off-season to stay open the whole hotel for only four guests. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and, and then what? And then, like, Will still pretends to be not part of the plan up until the very end. oh and then there's a, the, there's other weird bits of the plan as well where it's like so there the doc guy Derek he gets murdered and then just like in the first film like uh, his corpse appears uh, and then disappears and uh, so it makes it look like Julie is mad but then like only a couple of scenes later the other corpses start turning up so why why do the whole shtick of like let's pretend Julie's mad? You know, like if yeah. you're going to do that, 
surely you would have done it for longer. Like, and also, like, how did they manage to rig a karaoke machine to say, I still know what you do? <laughs> like, yeah, there's so many individual parts of this that are like, what is going on? Uh, um, and then you've got to factor in, <clears throat> like it does this thing that really dislike in horror films, where it goes like, what's reality and what's like spookiness? Um, so there's like a load of bits where like the fisherman just appears all the time. And like she sees him in like the club or like, you know, outside of a window or something. Um, but it can't possibly be real. You know, just by the law of physics. Like, you know, like in the nightclub and stuff where you see him stood in the background and then he's just not there. Like, um, but there's not enough space for him to have moved. So you go, right. So also like um, the film kind of goes like, oh, so it's no, it's just spooky. And she's just imagining him. But also he is actually real. So like and a clever film would go. Oh, yeah, so you thought, like, oh, I was all our imagination, but it actually was him all these times, except it can't have fucking possibly been. Like, and it just, it drives me mental. Yeah, that I think that scene drives me mental in particular because, like you say, there's no... I mean, obviously we've established that somehow he's defeated death. So, like, yeah. okay, so he's some sort of supernatural killer like Michael Myers, like Jason Voorhees. We're in that territory now. Okay, okay, good. Okay. And we're trying to convince Julie that we, you know, we're the audience is trying to be convinced that, that Julie's gone a bit mad from trauma and she's seen him everywhere. Now, that that's fine. And you can kind of... And even the first time she sees him in the club, it kind of makes sense. You kind of be like, oh, well, maybe you know, in retrospect, maybe he really was there in the club. Um, maybe he was, she wasn't just a, a, imagining him. But then, like you say, the shot when he's in the background and it just kind of flashes and he's there and then he's not there, like, that's too, you know, even, even kind of working on the fact he's a supernatural killer is still because then he would have to be like a ghost like he would have to have like different yeah. powers like beyond being just a, a kind of super uh, natural killer um, because even like Michael or, or Jason can't do that of just like uh, materialize dematerialize like that they can do the kind of fast kind of yeah. walking in the wind thing like disappear like kind of Batman or whatever but they can't just like appear disappear like that and if he was so the fact that he's not there yeah. makes even less sense because if it's her imagining him then she can't imagine him behind her yeah so if, it's like yeah. what is going on and if it is him like if it is actually supposed to be him the physical him that we realize is still alive at the end of the film then why, if you've gone to all this effort to set up that plan, would you start fucking standing around in your fucking fisherman outfit, alerting her to the fact that there could be some form of plan? Yeah, I mean, I suppose this like, ties if, us if back the plan, to... If the plan was like, oh, we're not, you're not safe here, the fisherman's about, let's go to this island where no one can get to us. That's one thing. But 
it's presenters like, come on, we need a break. We need a break. We need to go to an isolated place. Um, now anyone sensible will go, oh, hang on. The last place we need to go is somewhere isolated when there's a fucking fisherman about trying to kill me. Like, so it, if if he's supposed to be stood around, you know, to spook her up or whatever, he's all he's doing is damaging their extremely convoluted plan. But then I suppose that's like the Ben Sun thing, you know, like again, yeah, yeah. where we're tying back to that of like, you know, if you're trying to have this very devious uh, underhand plan, then why are you also trying supposedly to give clues to the plan at the same time? Yeah. I... Like, <laughs> I mean, it, what it feels like is from scene to scene, they didn't know what the story was and it just kind of ends up being like, oh, now, now it needs to be a deserted island and now this needs to happen. Um, there are a couple of good bits in it, I think. Um, so I've written uh, yep. Brandy. Brandy smashes the glass ceiling, um, which uh, works in a couple of ways. Um, but yeah, there's a really good scene where she ends up on top of like you know like an old shack that's kind of got like you know single glass um, wooden framed windows on it, and uh, they all start breaking under her feet. Um, Although for some reason she keeps standing directly on the glass panes rather than the support structures, which I have no idea why she does that. Um, but you know we're in horror movie territory. People have already made a great many bad decisions at this point in this movie. Um, so she falls through that, uh, but she's fine. I think she hurts herself, and she comes to like a, a door, but it's locked, and. It's one of these moments, like you say, that really telegraphs what's coming next. Um, you know, she can't get out of this room and she's rattling on the door. And Jennifer Love Hewitt and the bar tender turn up and go, Come on, we've got to, uh, we've got to, we've got to get you out of here. Um, and the door's locked and uh, the killer appears and he's coming up on her and she, she goes, We've got to unlock the door and they're trying all the keys and it's none of them are working. So she grabs an axe and she smashes the window out. Brandy climbs through it at the last second before the hook catches her shoe, but, you know, it doesn't quite kill her. Uh, do you know the bit I'm talking about? I mean, I've described yeah. it quite well. Um, so at that point, the fisherman is hanging through the window where he's just trying to claw Brandy's leg. Jennifer Love Hewitt's standing with an axe. Perfect opportunity to axe him in the head. And she goes, okay, let's run. Let's run away then. Um, but that sequence up to that point, I think, thought was really good. You know, quite tense. I think it is quite suspenseful, that, that, that sequence, because you get them, they're being chased. Uh, the three of them go up into the uh, an attic uh, and then, like, yeah, he bursts through the top uh, into the attic, chasing into the attic, and then she, like, yeah, she falls down, and then she falls through this kind of like uh, big um, conservatory type thing. Yeah, and that, and, and and then yeah, and then there is, it, even though it's heavily telegraphed what's happening, and it's like, oh, the killer's behind you, kind of thing, and like the race to to get the right key and stuff like that. 
it still works even though that's one of the scenes that despite it's telegraphing it still works as this yeah that's like a good sequence where you kind of separate the characters off and then it's like they're 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 separated by like by a locked door and it's there's a lot of tension in that and i thought i thought that was really well done apart from then like i say she had the perfect opportunity to like hit him in the head with an axe and she was like nah nah i won't i won't bother um which seemed silly but um there is another good bit where they're scrabbling around in the dark it's just after that and um she says hold on to my hand and uh, Brandy says, I am holding your hand. And I thought, oh, my God, excellent. And they turn on the light and she's holding the hand of, like, uh, the laundry lady. Yeah. And I, I just thought, that's... oh, that, see, that, that, that was good. That works. You know what I mean? Like, I thought, like, you know, that was well done, I thought. You know, it was a good moment. I liked it. I, I, um, again, I, I mean, like, there, there, <laughs> there, there is that kind of. I, I think it's an entertaining moment. There is the kind of slight kind of illogicalness of that moment as well. Of like, it, it, but it, it's still entertaining that, um, the group have basically found the various deceased employees in like different places. Um, and they've been like put on display so yeah. that the which you know which is the, like a the... slasher trope that I really like. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a fun thing. So like, um, they've been put on display kind of throughout the resort. Um, the 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 cleaning ladies found in a laundry dryer. Uh, Mr. Brooks, the hotel manager played by Jeffrey Combs, is found with like a big machete stuck in his head and I still know written on blood uh, behind him on the wall and, and stuff like that. So the thing that really entertained me about this scene where she's like holding the hand of the cleaning lady is like the corpses have been like dotted about, put on display for to be discovered. And then the killer thought, you know what would be real fun is if we gather them all together and then put them in display all together to be yeah. discovered so we can be found against. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you, you, like let's get as much use out of these things as we can. You know. Um, so, well, like, I think one of the downfalls of this film, really, is that the kills are fucking boring as fuck like really boring like they're almost all like either an extreme close-up of like um you know like something stabbing something um or like a cut to black almost all of them um and that's a real shame i think um there's a there's a couple that are, none of them spring to mind in terms of gore though apart from i guess Mackay pfeiffer gets like lifted up by a hook um, but it's really CGI and it looks pretty bad. Um, do you think that was like a kind of they were given a mandate for um a certain certificate and perhaps, then, yeah, is it a 15? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm not sure it may possibly is a, a, a 15, 
but I do think there's there's various moments in the movie that like it feels like the movie wants to be a gorier and be yeah. sleazier. <clears throat> like it feels like it wants to show more gore and it feels like it wants to show more nudity as oh well. My God. But it's yeah, like, like somebody it, has it, been like, you've got the certificate. Yeah. Um, because in terms of the, the latter, like I do feel like there is a there is a kind of perviness to this film, but it's like somebody's been like, oh, you can be this amount of pervy, but yeah. n- no further. Because there is a particularly ridiculous shot just before um, Jennifer Love Hewitt goes into the Sun Lounger, where we close up on her breasts and then scan down to her feet and then watch her go, like, yeah. really slowly <clears throat> and scan off. down her whole body she, yeah. to her feet. And then she goes in the sun lounger. It's like, yeah, that shot doesn't need to be there. She, but yeah, obviously... Yeah, she takes <laughs> off, like, her pants and, like, bra. And she's uh-huh. got, like, a smaller pants and bra underneath. Like, it's just... I, I, it's baffling. Um, my wife said, like, whoever made this obviously um is just perving on Jennifer Love Hewitt this entire film. Like every scene she's in is like a top that shows off like her breasts or like but not not bare but just enough, you know, like everything's chosen to be like, you know, like um oh look at her boobs kind of thing. Like or <laughs> you know, or oh look at her bare legs. Like, you know, at night she's walking around in just like a shirt or whatever and like um, you know, it's... There, there is a yeah, there is a kind of leering aspect to this movie when it comes to yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt. I mean, like you know, because they're in this cyclone, so there's like a lot of rain. So it's like you know, what's the best uniform to for to deal with this rain? Can you can you wear like a like a a black bra and then like a like a white shirt? Yeah, that's, although that's, half what, the that's time what we it's want. Just like. Can you just wear a white shirt, please? And we'll, um, you know, we'll make sure that the nipple bits are as see-through as they can be without seeing through them. Like, you know, um, I, I also like uh, the the rain, how heavy the rain is, so much so that because obviously to shop camera, rain has to be way heavier than it is in real life. Yeah. Um, but in this, it's so over the top that you can literally see the actors like drowning through their lines. Um, especially at the dock, like it's hilarious. Um, them trying to like act while spitting water out of their mouths almost. Um, oh, that that seems real fun. Like when she's given the kind of like true backstory of what happened, and uh, Brandy's this is new information to Brandy of like, oh, no, it wasn't there, just we run over the guy, but like he came back and he killed the friends, and then you know, and the way she's kind of shouting and spitting and flailing her arms, it's amazing. Yeah, big arm acting that's what we need from the uh, JLH. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, to, to go back to your original thing though, that the about the kills, like yeah, the kills are pretty pretty lame for the most part. Yeah. Although I do think the funniest kill, just and it's not like a good kill, but I think just because the way it's set up, it's really funny. Is uh, Jack Black's character, yeah. who is an awful irritant, like Jack Black of the cameos. Jack Black is the worst, um, and uh, so obviously he's got his hook. 
um, and he stabs his hook into his hand and Jack Black because he's like does maybe gardening or something like there's just this line of weapons of like an axe and like garden shears and, yeah. and like a bunch of other stuff and like Ben kind of like caresses like various kind of options of like oh can I take this axe oh Oh, can I can I take the this this thing? This, uh, uh, oh no, I'll take the garden shears and then just plunges it into his chest. Um, I I just laughed out loud at that. Too. Yeah, but it, again, it's like a close up. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my my wife said that's like this kind of stuff we shoot in our living room after a shoot. You know, like uh, close ups of things being stabbed and that because we didn't have time to do it on set. She says it looks like that. Um which I thought was quite funny. She said, do you think they filmed that in their living room or then in their kitchen, you know, trying to match the floors up? Um, so I thought it was quite funny. But um, yeah, so they revealed there's two killers at the end um, and that Will is Will Benson, as in Will Ben's son, uh, son of Ben Willis, the, uh, the, the killer from the first one, who is very much still alive, which was a surprise to me. Um, although he seems to be a fucking cartoon character version of his of the one from the first one. Like, he's like, aha, yes, I'm evil and I've drawn you here. Like, you know, I feel like there was some nuance to him the first time around. Um, but that's all gone. Um, they, so they have some, like, history on this island. Like, that's a weird part of the movie that doesn't really seem to go anywhere um like his mother and sister are buried there or something um and then there's a grave dug for jennifer love hewitt there is a grave dug for jennifer i wasn't quite sure like so like yeah so estes mentions that ben worked on the island right um when when he does the brazilia reveal like um he, right. he was like oh ben you know like he was he worked here for many years and you're like he did um okay uh and then he tells a story about like the room 201 and 202 and i thought that that was like ben had like killed his wife or something i, I like because he he had a wife and a daughter and son and presumably yeah. you know will's the son i don't know what happened to the daughter but like, yeah, there's like two graves. I don't know if he killed his daughter as well. Like, that's not explained. It's just like it seemed like he killed his wife, and then yeah. it it was never heard of what happened to the the son or daughter. But it's not like Estes doesn't explain the theories of like why he went mad or killed her. Oh no, like apparently the, she was the cheating. Grave she was is originally cheating. his though, isn't it? And then he they dig it up and write her name on the grave. Yeah. And that's why I was confused. I was like, so did they bring him out here and bury him after the first movie? Um, and then he climbed out of um, he climbed out of the grave. Um, is that is that what they're suggesting? Like, I mean, maybe it's like a kind of Friday the Thirteenth Part Six sort of situation. Yeah, where, like, I mean, it you seems know, to be there so they like, can there push him into it. Conducted and <clears throat> uh, he came back from the dead. <clears throat> It seems to be there because it needs to be so that he can get knocked into this this grave at the end of the film. <clears throat> um, that seems to be the reason for it. Um, and they try to explain it away with a little bit of backstory. Um, I am pleased Brandy survives. 
um, at the end. Because, yeah. you know, usually, was... yeah. you know, you get, um, you get your final girl and usually their love interest surviving at the end. So it was quite, um, it was quite well done. Um, I thought it was it was a nice surprise. Although, who alerted the Coast Guard? Uh, this I don't know because, like, I, I mean, maybe the guy whose boat was stolen. I, I honestly, <laughs> I'm not sure say, about this at all because apparently the radio like, is broken. Uh, help! Help is on the way. Um, you know, uh, to collect, you know, to collect survivors or whatever. How do they know what happened? Like for all they says so. <laughs> I get, yeah, like it's just it's a bit baffling. Like I can't remember how they put it now, but they're like, uh, "Help is on the way," you know, like um, "Help is on the way to 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 collect survivors or whatever." And I was like, "Okay, like that's weird." Um, so the last bit obviously is the teaser for the next film that we never got. Which is where yeah. can I, can I just mention briefly the um the fact that the movie at the beginning of the movie they lean so heavily on the kind of like trauma thing of like oh my god you know it's so traumatic you know surviving one of these events and then at the end of the movie Brandy whose boyfriend has been brutally murdered and like you know has been chased around uh, just as much as Jennifer Viewett has is like fine she's fine when she, when she yeah. survives and it's all over she's fine and she's making quips about like oh just don't tell anybody it rained all the time yeah and like that's the last thing we hear our character say yeah it's like the it's like the um the cursed uh you know like oh my boyfriend was a werewolf uh, uh, this will make me sad for 15 seconds but the plot must move on you know like uh it's it's very much in you know like that um, but uh, I, I like the last scene. I thought I always think it's really well, except for the weird toothbrush stuff. Even then, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what like, the, that, that's about. Like, but that um, shot of him under yeah. the bed, I really like, you know, like, I don't know what it is about it. It's to be honest, it's the only thing I remembered about the film. Um, when I sat down to watch it again, apart from the fact that Jack Black was in it, um. Was I remember that shot? Although I always remember it as being the son, like the young man, and it wasn't. It was the fisherman. Um, but I, I, I thought it was really well put together that last shot for a, for this kind of thing. Um, and then it goes into uh, the end credits where they play Jennifer Love Hewitt's song uh, again. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking terrible. What's it called? Uh. I'll have a look because uh, it's got really a stupid name and I can't remember. Uh, no, I can't see it on the uh, on IMDb. Um, just here we go. Uh, How do I deal? It's called. Okay. Um, it's awful. Really awful. Really awful. <laughs> um. And the music video was even worse. So the one last thing I wanted to talk about this film is 
something really weird, and this has taken. So I watched this at about four o'clock this afternoon. It's about it's about hundred minutes. So my time in between then and now has been trying to find out this really weird thing. So mm-hmm. I was watching the end credits, and I was like, "Oh, it'd be interesting to see where Jack Black's build on the credits," because I can't remember how famous he was in like nineteen ninety seven or whatever, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, not that famous, I guess. Um, so I was like, I wonder where he's billed on this then. So the credits kept going. And then the actors stopped and I was like, oh, I must have missed him. So I went back. I read it again. Where is he? So I went back and read it again. Where's Jack Black on the credits? And I was like, I mean, he's definitely in the film. I've just watched it. He's in it. You know? Um, so I went to IMDb and it said Jack Black uncredited and i was like what's going on here why is he not credited every other actor in the film apart from like you know like the girl in the bikini and stuff like that (laughs) is credited class so the the characters that are uncredited are like cocktail waitress classmate club goer basketball player and titus telesco i.e jack black uncredited and I've spent two hours today trying to find out why Jack Black is not credited on this film. And I can't find a thing. That's very curious. I didn't realise that. I didn't read the full credits. I, was, I, like, I like, wouldn't have even noticed had I not just been like, oh yeah, Jack Black, you know, I wonder where he's... Um, the, the closest thing I can find is that Someone said that he had it removed out of embarrassment, which makes sense. Hmm. Uh, but that's just speculation on a forum. Um, like, there's no... I can't find any concrete reason why he's not credited on the film. Um, but that's there. You, that's the biggest trivia of them. It's not even in the trivia on IMDb. That's very curious. Yeah. I had not realised that. Um, and I can't figure out why. Yeah, because you, like characters who have that. I mean, like it's a it's a decent sized cameo. He's got at least well, he's got more scenes than almost any of the other island staff members. Yeah, cause he turns up at the beginning when he first arrives yeah. and like offers to get them weed. Then he turned and he has a little conversation with um, Derek. I I wasn't quite sure if that character's name was Derek or Derek. People keep saying it in different ways. Yeah. Um, uh, so he turns up in a scene there. So that's two scenes. Then he turns up in the jacuzzi three, and then his death scene. So four. So he has at least four scenes. Um. Yeah. yeah, he's got like four or five scenes in it compared to like most of the like Jeffrey Combs has two um estes as probably about the same as jack black but i mean he seems to be much more of a main character um but yeah jack black out of all those people has uh, what i would say and he's the most memorable thing about the film um but i don't know why he's not credited on it i'm guessing he didn't want to be he thought it would harm his career um, I guess so. Like, I, mean, I, I suppose it's like kind of maybe thought it was kind of an embarrassing guy. I mean, it is kind of an embarrassing guy. Yeah, yeah, like, I'd, what were they thinking? 
I honestly it's, don't know. It's, I mean, it's funny, but I feel like it's not meant to be. I, but I don't know. It's, it, he is played as a stupid character. So, um, the other thing I like is that I said to my wife, you know, when he pops out of the water and he's got like a joint in his hand, and mm. I said, so did he just swim over here underwater, but with his hands sticking out the water, like to keep that joint dry, and then he lights it. And he starts swimming away, but he keeps dipping this joint in the water. And I was like, well, that's ruined now, isn't it? Like, he can't smoke that. But it's just... It's just one of the many, many logical forms in this movie. Baffling. Um, do, you know, do you know what? You, you know, just uh, something that you made me think of um, just uh, when you were talking about the ending was that you thought it was like will in in the bed under the bed yeah who grabs uh jennifer, jennifer love hewitt and drags her under and like like you say i think it is like um it's a good moment it doesn't make sense but it's a, it's a good moment and yeah. um it's a good way you know it's a good kind of button to end the movie on however uh just because of your confusion there about it being will and it actually being ben the fisherman and I was just thinking, oh, I wonder, does that mean that, um, like, genetically you can't inherit, uh, inherit like, supernaturalness? Like, you just, you're oh, like, oh, that's, you, you can't pass it down to you, to your, uh, to your offspring. Like, because, like, you know, because we've now established that basically the fisherman's a supernatural killer. But yeah, it guess, seems yeah. like, it seems like Will is, like, dead, dead. So, like, you, you can't pass that on to your offspring, like being which is a shame. A supernatural being, because <clears throat> I mean, I could have done with. Uh, I still, still know what you did last summer, the Revenge of Ben's Son. Um, written in capitals so that we get it, capital bold italics, so we get it. The Revenge of Ben's Son, um, would have been, uh, you know. I would have liked to have seen that. I would have liked to have the series to go out on like a like a high budget third note, to be honest. Um but can't have everything you want or anything. No, you can't you, you can't have everything you want. I mean I I think they should have if they did that, if they if they had done that, you know, I still still know. Um the Revenge of Ben's Son, which I think is a a, a really good title. Oh yeah, um, and like you say, <laughs> I think you know, like a capital bold italics, like written in red, kind of thing. Um, the the, the Ben's Son part. I I think they should have really leaned into like how convoluted can we make this plan? I mean, yeah. the plan in this movie is the most elaborate nonsense probably ever put on screen. Yeah. Um, so like just really lean into just being like, we're going to make this even more elaborate, you know? Um, I don't know how, how they push that, yeah. you know, but, um, but, you know, I'm sure they can come up with something. <laughs> well, I mean, the straight to VO sequel is probably worth like a one-time watch. I mean, I've watched right. it twice for some stupid reason. Um, because, uh, you know, when you're watching a film series, you, you sometimes want to just... Make sure you've watched them all, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's worth a watch, but it doesn't continue any of this, which is a sh which is a crying shame, really. 
because um, I would have liked to see where they took these characters and stuff. Um, well, yeah, I think overall it's just it's a fairly forgettable film, and I've watched it a few times, and I can never remember anything about it. Like today, like I say, I've had to write notes and talk about it in real great depth to really remember anything that happens in it. Um, you know, and it's just I don't know. I, it feels a little bit like a film that was kind of made as they went along. It does. I mean, like I didn't. I've seen it a few times as well, and I didn't really remember it that well. But the things that always stick in my mind are the Jack Black character. Yeah. Um, because he's terrible. Um, the 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 ending, like you said. And uh, just like the 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 schematics of the of the of the plot, like I always remember the thing about the 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 real Brasilia thing, yeah. like the the radio competition thing, and like just the ludicrousness of it, of the way it's uh, of the way it's set up. So there's there's something then that always sticks out in my mind. But like in terms of like the things you tend to remember slashers for, like um, you know, which is mainly the kills and sometimes kind of yeah. my, you know uh and sometimes kind of the one-liners and stuff like that but um yeah in terms of that like no i didn't remember like any of the kills because like re-watching it like you say the kills are pretty lame and uh yeah i i although i suppose in some ways i should mention this before we before we kind of uh, wrap up that in some ways this movie did play a part in my horror fandom because when I was growing up as a kid, I wasn't a massive horror fan, even though I took in a lot of kind of horror adjacent content or horror for kids, you know, like the kind of Tales from the Crypt uh, cartoon or, you know, like things like Buffy that were kind of horror adjacent yeah. or whatever. I enjoyed stuff like that. But so I didn't really become a horror fan until like my teens and like a big turning point for me is around 1999 where like during the kind of that summer uh me and my friends like rented like a bunch of movies um like the first two screams um this movie and the original i know what you did last summer and the faculty and then that kind of became the springboard for like me becoming like a horror fan and like seeking yeah. out more horrors from that point so like it is in a kind of group of films that is like my kind of main introduction to to horror movies so yeah i guess it has a place in my heart because of that um but you know it is a terrible film. oh yeah like the trouble is that because it's so forgettable you go i still know what you did last summer i can't be it can't be as bad as i I think it was, or people say it is, if surely it can't be. Like, because the pieces in your mind all work together so well. So, you know, the survivor of the massacre goes to like a like a holiday resort to try and forget her troubles, but the killer follows her there, you know, like, and you go, like, that's a that's a fucking good setup for a movie. Like, you know, how can this yeah. possibly not work? Um, but the trouble is, I don't know if it doesn't not work, it does. It does work in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it also doesn't really think about what it's doing. So it it kind of it bogs itself down in like 
like log like trying to justify things that don't need to be justified and not concentrating on the logic of the situation and um and so it, like i think if they've just gone let's let's go to this island for a holiday you know ah it's a killer here bollocks you, uh, you know and made the kills a bit more elaborate i think i think this you know i think one we would have got a third movie and i think this would have been remembered as um you know a a semi-decent follow-up to a, a classic yeah. slasher but as it is it seems to be remembered as uh one of the worst and i think it was definitely one of the most expensive slasher movies made at the time yeah. if not the most um i'll leave you on this note that okay. uh due to the negative critical reaction to the film upon its release freddie prince jr admits that he has never seen the film <laughs> That says it all. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, he really doesn't seem like he wanted to be there. Um, so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but which I is think a shame. if Freddie Prince is listening to this, which he's not, um, I think he should watch it. I think. <laughs> Just... uh, yeah, I think he'd get a lot out of it. Um, what I'd like is to cut out all his bits and just edit it into like a seven minute short film. The Freddy Prince Chronicles. Yeah. <coughs> Excellent. Right, well, uh, I think that's it. Um, yes, it is. Thank you for joining me. This has been a, this has been a blast. I don't know how long we've been talking for. Probably about two hours. Um, so this might be our longest one yet. Um, but thank you for joining me, Scott. That, that, that seems you. to happen so often when when we we start talking. I'm it sure does. this it's, this it's is probably issue. I think. <laughs> I've, I even tried to reel in my 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 natural uh, tangents. We didn't we didn't go off script in terms. We still mainly talked about the movie. Did, we yeah, just, um... I, I, we went into a brief history of the Scream Killers. I suppose. I suppose that is true. I suppose that's a fair point. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining me. It's been great to have you. Um, so uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you like this, you can get these early on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael, M-Y-C-H-O. Um, otherwise, uh, they go up on anchor.fm slash Michael, uh, M-Y-C-H-O, about every month, about halfway through the every month. Um, if, I think... Uh, if you haven't listened already, we've done uh, Scream 2, uh, Nightmare on Street 3, and uh, our latest one uh, before this was Exorcist 3 slash Legion. Um, so they've all been, you know, relatively, uh, I would say, popular sequels so far. So we may go into some more obscure ones. Um, but yeah, any suggestions, please leave them in the comments below. Um, if you want to check out our movies and comics and video games and stuff, you can go to myco.co.uk, myco.co.uk. Um, we've got other podcasts and interviews and all sorts of other stuff there as well. So uh, thank you for joining me, Scott. Um, and until next time, just remember, it's only a sequel. It's only, it's only a, sequel. a sequel. It's only, it's only a, sequel. a sequel. It's only a sequel. It's only a sequel. It's only a sequel.